Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here. We are not fresh off the oven this week. We are fresh out of the oven with Cartel Aristocrats Cats number 26. Um, you know, we're going to have a guest on uh, for those tuning in and listening live. Um, Rogue Deck Builder is supposed to come on, talk about shop life, talk about the Puka Trade video that he made that led to the Manosaurus and Tarian Community College's uh, videos apparently so hopefully he'll be on a little bit so if you hear a voice just all of a sudden interject in the middle of this cast just get used to it because he's just as busy as the rest of us are when it comes to um planning podcasts anyway if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves and it, it, what what content do you guys do where can we find you hello my name is douglas johnson everybody calls me dj i write for quiet speculation behind the insider paywall my articles come out every thursday and I will be recording Brainstorm Brewery after this. That will be out on Friday on the Brainstorm Brewery website. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at P-H-R-O-S-T underscore. I write for Modern Nexus on Wednesday, and I write for Gathering Magic every other Monday, including this one. I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. My articles come out every Wednesday on MTG Price, and I'm on the MTG Fast Finance podcast with James Chilcott. And I'm Zemet Sells Magic. I just did a like almost two-hour-long podcast with uh, Kevin of Darium CCGs yesterday about shop finance. Uh, if you guys were on my channel, we got a lot of traffic from that, and I plug Cartel Aristocrats, so hopefully we'll get a, a couple new viewers. So if you're listening for the first time, it's nice to meet you guys. We're here to make money or make magic cheaper to play. Um, so yeah, pretty simple stuff. Let's get into um, masterpieces now that we've sort of had a couple minutes or like a week to dissect exactly what's going on. Last time it was more, oh my goodness, these had just been spoiled. Um, is it just me or is anyone more cynical about Kaladesh now? About even being able to make your money back when you open these boxes or packs because the value will just be so depressed. And this is coming from a shop standpoint. So I'm just interested in your thoughts. I am writing an article right now about the commons and uncommons of Kaladesh because I think there's a lot of very powerful commons and uncommons in the set that could see standard play. But I think that there will be a lot less, uh, what's, what's the adjective? Uh, pickability, I guess. I don't know. I don't think that the commons and uncommons from this set will be worth as much because the expedition effect that we see on rares, pressing the value from Battle for Zendikar, will be a lot stronger on Kaladesh, just like it was with BFZ. Like, if you go to uh, the Blueprint, or if you go to, like, Trader Tools or any other equipment like that for uh, biolisting commons and uncommons, Battle for Zendikar is really, really weak, with the only cards notable being, like, Dronus Emissary, uh, Transgress the Mind, and then, like, Hedron Archive, maybe. And then everything else is like a dime or less. And I'm expecting the same thing from Kaladesh, where like there's a lot of powerful commons and uncommons that you're like, oh, this is going to see standard play. This is like not quite Duskwatch Retruder, but it could still be a dollar because this kind of card has been a dollar in the past. And I think a lot of those are going to be dimes this time. Um, I'm really interested to see where all of the masterpieces end up. Like Star City was the first uh, website to start pre-ordering them. And the deviation on some of them from those pre-order prices is pretty big. Uh, Lotus Petals more than double what it was pre-ordering for on the first day. Uh, if you look at TCG player, Lotus Petals are like $225 or something like that last time I looked. Um, Aether Vial is like $150, which is about $40 more. And Lightning Greaves is almost twice as much. It's like $75 or $80. So there's just like a ton of cards that have gone up like 
recently in the Masterpiece series, so I'm not really sure where they're going to end up. If they end up closer to both of the Gatewatch expeditions, then it won't be so bad, but if they're closer to the Battle for Zendikar ones, then we're obviously going to see an issue where, like, everything's going to be worth nothing, except for one card, it's going to be, like, $20, and it'll probably be Chandra. And as much as people want to hear Travis talk, our guest finally decided to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Um, if you want to go ahead and introduce where people can find you before both you and Travis answer this question, especially from a shop perspective, just like myself, um, where can people find you? What are some of the things you've been doing lately as far as content goes, basically? Talking to me. Yep. Oh. Who's that voice for people that don't have the video, the, uh, the visuals? I am the rogue deck builder. You can find me at YouTube slash rogue deck builder. I have been doing this for ever now. I also write for gatheringmagic.com. We'll do videos for them. And I own a, my own local game store here in a small town in central Utah called Gone Rogue Games. Wait, so does your, does your uh, rogue deck builder name, like do you still build rogue decks and do you still enjoy like brewing and stuff like that? Yep, that's still what I do. We're going to have a conversation later on in this podcast about Deploy the Gate Watch and Standard. Okay. <laughs> Didn't I already tell you what you... Anyway, um, we were getting into what you think of Kaladesh and how masterpieces are going to affect the price of singles. I'm looking at it from a pessimistic point of view where we looked at what happened to Battle for Zendikar singles and like, basically none of the cards from Battle for Zendikar have seen an increase besides like Jirana off the hype of Vampires and Shadows and uh, Ulamog a little bit. Pretty much everything else is less than the price of a booster pack, including these, these uh, dual lands that used to be worth like that would have been worth $5 had Expeditions not been in there. Now that we have Expeditions and everything, from a shop perspective, do you want to dump this stuff as fast as possible and never look back? Or do you think that there's a chance that some of this could maybe rise in value? I always dump everything after release. I think that I'll spec on uh, sleeper cards. I spec on collective, the, the, like collective Brutality especially. And some of those, but out of, yeah, I think you're spot on with Battle for Zendikar. I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as Battle for Zendikar because you have all of the fetch lands, all of the very, very chase that kind of trans transition over from both commander, casual, competitive. So they hit, they, they check off all of the, the, the specs there for who actually wants them. I think this one is more like the Otha Gatewatch, like Wasteland. These, these master, masterpieces feel a lot like Wasteland to me. Travis, did you want to add anything about this? And the best part of Travis talking, guys, is he's muted, so you can just you can just imagine the salt flowing why, out. Why did you mute me when I had my mic muted? We had a problem last time where everyone could just hear you typing or playing Dark Souls in the background the entire time. We had some complaints about people didn't want to hear that background noise. Well, there's no way I could be playing Dark Souls and doing this at the same time. And why wouldn't you have just told me you had me muted? Just... This makes for a more fun cast. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I knew the answer before I finished the question. Um, yeah. We know that the Battle for Zendikar expeditions were like are like right now like forty percent of the Battle for Zendikar set value, where Oath is closer to twenty percent. So I assume they're going to land in the twenty percent range. Other than that, I'm most, mostly just looking at the the expedition price graph to know um, when I want to be buying copies of these, which is in like two to three months after release, I think. Um, so I expect them to behave like uh, like our buddy said, probably a little closer to Oath did than than excuse me than Zendikar. 
And so uh, it's probably a good time to take viewer questions here. Um, we had a ton of people ask about Puka Trade with Rogue Deck Builder coming on. Uh, for those who don't know, and I'll give him a little bit to explain it, he just put out a big video blasting Puka Trade. Um, I've recently observed that you can buy Puka points for as low as 0.4 now. Yesterday it was 0.45, but now on some Facebook groups it's 0.4. So for those that don't know what that means, basically for $40 to $45, you can now buy $100 worth of Monopoly money on Puka Trade which would be great for arbitrage if you could actually get sent cards. Um, so we're going to just sort of go down a line. Uh, it'll be Doug, Jim, Rogue, and then Travis on how you guys feel about Puka Trade. And then is this finally the death knell with everyone blasting it all over Facebook, all over social media, or do you think it will recover? Uh, I went over a little bit of this last week. I still have my Uncommon membership, but that's only because I pay like $18 a year when I was in the beta. Um, I tried to get some cards for this janky standard deck with Deploy the Gatewatch, and I waited about a couple weeks, and then I still haven't gotten any for that, so I ended up just buying the cards off eBay or TCG Player or whatever. Uh, I, I don't know. I have like 76,000 points, which is, I don't know how much that is in real money nowadays, but like, I, I don't really want to have points anymore. I would love to find out at like 0.45 or 50 cents per dollar. Um... I don't know. I kind of hope this like gets good again because it was a lot of fun to use two years ago. But until further notice, I don't really see any point in using it personally. I think the biggest problem that they're going to have to overcome is like all the negative feedback on the internet. Like people don't forget when you've slighted them, especially on the internet, especially when people that are very prominent in the community say like, "Hey, man, this is not what you want to be doing." And the, if people are perpetually waiting for cards and not sending any more because they don't think that they're ever going to get any cards sent to them, that just perpetuates the nobody sending cards problem. Like, cards have to flow freely in order for people to, like, if, in order for that site to work, you have to be constantly sending cards and constantly receiving cards. If you send a bunch of cards and you don't get anything, then you're just eventually going to stop sending cards, and then that just makes the site break down. So I don't know what kind of incentive they could offer to people to want them to make them want to start sending cards again, unless they did something ridiculous like they just like bought back Puka points, like 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 stock shares, kind of like buying those back from people that had them, then they would be worth something again, theoretically, and people might start sending cards. But right now, like being able to sell, like being able to buy them for. 40% of what their supposed cash value should have been is is pretty bad. You're starting to sound like SIG with the amount of dividends and stuff that you want to pay to the shareholders as far as, as that goes. Um, I, so so that we can sort of segue this then as people still answer, is Puka Trade a pyramid scheme? Uh, Rogue, you came out with a video that, you know, what a lot of content creators knew about that Puka had gotten more, Puka had given more to these creators that were promoting uh, their site, mainly the Manor Source and um, Tolarian Community College, it was more than just points that they got. So do you want to go into a bit about exactly what had happened with that? Yeah, I don't think it's quite a pyramid scheme, because usually a pyramid scheme starts with the whole premise that, you know, the creators of it know that it's going to be a pyramid and it's not going to be something that is going to last. I actually think that Puka Trade, the creators of it had good intentions, but they just are horrible at economics. And these are the people that called me out telling me I'm terrible at it. And I didn't know what I was talking about. But it's kind of funny, a year and a half ago, when I released my 
video about how runaway inflation is going to kill the site. And here we're at 0.4. And that's lower than what I read. I was looking at 0.45, but that would not surprise me now, even a couple weeks after my video that has crashed that highly. Um, yeah, but that's the, the biggest point is just, just, in my opinion, it's unethical. That's why I got out of Puka Trade. I would almost love to buy it at 0.4 because I know at least I could get some, having a local game store, I could get some cards that are on the, the not as popular. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever get a Shockland or a Fetchland out of Puka Trade, but some of these commander staples, I've talked about how my store in particular has a lot of bad players that like bad cards. So I could get those bad cards that are from these older sets and then sell it to them. And that might be profitable. But as, as far as ethics is concerned, I'm just not willing to go down that road, especially since I've publicly, you know, called them out. And my information what I've been able to gather um, a little bit, rich, uh, have to make kind of an, uh, an edit to my video because I didn't know the full uh, information, but some of the content creators were paid in cash. And but the most of the lower named people had a bunch of people email me telling me that they were in fact paid in Puka points, which is just going to cause more inflation. So for, for those who don't understand what they're doing for people writing on their site, or I've heard rumors of kind of their software engineers and things like that, actually, instead of getting paid in cash because Puka Trade didn't have any, they were just paying them in Puka points. The full salary is being paid in Puka points? I have not a clue about Dang. that. I have not, but I have, I, the evidence that I do have is from, from content. People that have written articles of Puka Trade saying, yes, in fact, I was paid in Puka points. So that's 100% verified. Yeah, I wrote one article for them like a year and a half, two years ago, and I got paid in Puka points, and I was like, no, I'm not doing this again. Well, well like I can see getting paid, you know, like the, the whatever fee you get per an article once a week, getting that in Puka points. Yeah, but that's what it was. Actual salary, like... You know, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year in Puka points would be insane. They definitely weren't getting paid that much. Um, I can tell you, and for those listening, we were supposed to have a Puka trade representative on our show this week. Um, they decided to tell us that um, they are too busy dealing with things right now for their site, and they would have to um, decline. And so, I guess it's sort of uh, karmic justice at this point. That's not a pun. That um that Kevin comes on who, who had just come out with content against Puka trade where we were going to get the official or at least a member of Puka trade come out and talk about it. And now they just don't want anything to do with us. I think because they're just sort of uh, trying to recover whatever is left of that site. Yeah. I think that a lot of people are blaming the future site for it. I think the future site just sped things up. I think that having this whole mentality, you can just pay people in Puka points would have just, that would have had running away inflation, regardless if it was a great service or not. They have to change their their tone, their, their like I said, their ethics on this. I don't think it's sustainable. Um, you know, I've I've uh, long been a fan of the site uh, and now oblivious to the concerns with it, um, and I have remained cautiously optimistic that it would work out, if for no other reason other than I would really like it to because it's very useful. Um, especially for somebody like me who ends up with all sorts of odds and ends. And sometimes they're not, you know, I don't have a brick and mortar store, so it can take a little while to sell them on TCG player. And um, it's nice to be able to ship some odds and ends through Puka Trade and pick up new cards that I want without having to spend real dollars on them. And I'd really like to be able to grab some inventions through Puka Trade as well. Uh, we'll see if that ever happens. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing to me to hear, to think that they would be, not have any idea what they were doing 
with the economics of the site because you know when I talked to Freytag at the first Vegas, he was talking about how he had hired several independent economists to do consulting with them and, and intentionally kept them siloed so that they would um, you know they would work on they, they would come to their conclusions on their own and then he could compare. Maybe he didn't listen to them. I, I don't. I don't know. But uh, you know, I'm actually while we're while we're casting, I am sending out a handful of cards worth about just a little under $150 uh, because I need. I want to pick up a few odds and ends. I don't really want to pay for them, and I figure I'll give it a shot under the new setup and see see how it works. So this is my first foray into it in the last in the last four or five months. We'll we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm optimistic if for no other reason than it would be nice for it to work. Yeah. Well, that's 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 my whole point to my little video too. Is I sent off four grand worth of cards and received four grand worth of cards, and these were cards that I, I like to say I filled a niche in that community. I I was the thought scour sender or the rending volley or the become immense. I was fulfilling a lot of these owning a local game store, brick and mortars. We get so many of these type of cards in for buying people's bulk, and they are high demand cards that no one's willing to sell on TCG Player or eBay because you get killed trying to sell them with especially the transaction fee off those. Uh, so I, I love the service. It was great, but uh, I just can't get behind their ethics. I basically have the same opinion as Travis. Like I was at the same table uh, with him talking to the owner and designer of Puka Trade at Vegas, like wishing it, like hoping it would work and just like, because I enjoyed using the site back then. And I basically come to the same conclusions. Like I'm not using it while Travis is now, but uh, if it, if they turn around their uh, decision making and if they make some changes, I'd gladly hop back in and like go back to what I used to do, which is buying points at like uh, 0.6 or 0.65 or whatever. And then like basically what uh, Rogue Deck Builder is doing is like selling them to my local uh, customers at like retail. And okay. I I agree with you on that too. That's what I used to do. But you know now that it's even lower, the the I have maybe like 300 to 400 once that are all soarings. That's the only thing that I want on Puka Trade right now. All right, I have a quick question. I have a quick question. What is the supposed ethical violations that we're talking about here? Because I'm hearing that bandied about, but I don't quite understand where that's coming from. Not being transparent. I think that you need to let people know, hey, if you want to opt into a service where we're just going to basically do what we want with Puka Points, because that's not, you can't really find it anywhere they've never stated they've never been public with any of that and that's something that i probably wouldn't have subscribed to because i just know that it would cause this crash so would you call that puka's mischief <laughs> that's uh, amazing. <laughs> so but i'm still a little unclear what did what have they not revealed publicly the fact that they were paying people with puka points yes and the fact that they had that they had paid both cash and points to content creators in order to promote their site um so for example uh, the original videos that had come out said that they were sponsored by Puka Trade, but they made it seem like they were just getting paid in points. Whereas they got the people who, um, and this is just from my knowledge, so I might be wrong here, Kevin, if you want to go ahead and correct me. Um, they got the 300 point bonus. They got gold, or some of them got gold for free. They got cash on top of that, and then a point thing on top of that when it was all said and done. So it was like a triple helping for them. I think from my experience too, uh, the lack of transparency like in the months before the feature site came out, like there were very, very infrequent updates as to like what people were actually doing and what the um, schedule on the feature site update was. And it was like a year behind schedule when they said they'd actually get it done. And then like 
there were just really no updates as to, yeah, we're doing this, yeah, we're doing this to get it done, because it just took a bunch of people's money, and then, like, it was a year late, and nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. And not to... Go ahead, Travis. Well, I won't, I won't sp- speak to any of the Kickstarter stuff because I'm unfamiliar with that. But some of this does sound a little bit like the curtain is being pulled back. And it's uh, not that they're doing anything that we don't see in other component, other facets of the entertainment industry um, and content creators or, uh, or individuals being tied to promote a service. It's just that we're seeing it a little bit more. It's may- maybe people are a little uncomfortable with it hitting closer to home you know they kind of expect coca-cola to pay people to to talk about how good coca-cola is but it feels a little weird when they're doing it with magic because you kind of thought that magic wasn't part of that world but it still is so you know again i don't know the details i'm just saying it doesn't none of that particularly sounds unethical to me well here's the thing i don't care if they pay they could have paid wedge or the mana source hundred thousand dollars to promote it that i wouldn't care i would absolutely not care if they paid in cash my whole problem is they're paying in points devaluing the entire rest of the points there. It almost feels like it's, I know it's their service, but those aren't their points. That's the issue I have with the site. They shouldn't have the ability just to print points out of thin air. Yeah. And as much as we want to beat this dead horse, unlike both rogue and my uh, interviews on Darium CCG's podcast, we don't have unlimited time to talk because Doug has to go record brainstorm brewery after this and rogue and I have shops stuff to do probably. (laughs) Um, so, Doug, if you want to go ahead with the viewer question, I'm going to go grab a beer. So if one of you could type it in chat, that would be great. Oh, yeah. So one of the questions I got, this is specifically for Travis. Uh, why did Travis keep his specs in plastic bags? So the plastic bags you're referring to are... Uh, wait. Are they team bags? They're these. Uh, and I don't keep my specs in team bags so much as I receive shipments from stores that come in these bags. And if I already know what's in the bag, I don't bother to open them. Like I know this bag is just all restore balances. So I just, I just leave it in the bag. That's all. Nothing exciting. Okay. And next up is, uh, this one's, oh, I forgot to mention who that last question was from, uh, Austin Toller on Twitter. Uh, thanks Austin. The next one is from Papu MTG on Twitter. Should we expect any major shakeups from the ban and restricted list update next week? I'm predicting no, but I'll let everyone else talk as well. I would not be surprised either way. I don't think there are a couple of cards that like could come off, but probably won't. So I don't think you. It, I don't think it makes any sense to care either way. Um, I will. What well, we can insert our our, uh, our friend Ryan. Ryan, was that was that it? Kevin or Rogue. Kevin. Okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Kevin. Kevin. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let Kevin hop in at the end of the line. Typically, bandless announcement, bandless changes have been preceded by a lot of discussion in the community um, ahead of time, and the bandless updates that have had no conversation have no changes. Uh, the community has been really good about pegging when things are going to change, even if they're terrible at guessing what is going to change. Um, so at the moment, I'm not expecting any changes, but it is also worth mentioning that this is the first time for modern, at least that it is, uh, that since the modern, we've now lost the modern pro tour. So now they're going to handle the boundless a little bit differently. It's going to take a while before we really see the full effect of how they handle that, um, detached from the pro tour. So I'm not expecting any, but I don't think we can rule it out completely. Whereas if there was still modern pro tour, I would say there's no change. 
The only rumors I've been hearing at the rumor mill is Popper, the Drake, will probably get the. Um, I I was I was hearing around the grapevine that that was a mistake. They didn't mean to print for Popper uh, common in internal masters. It's just warped the format now. So I don't play Popper that often, so it's not that big of a deal uh, to me. And then I've heard the Bloodblade Bloodbraid Elf rumor mill again that happens every time before a, an unbanning uh, because supposedly it's legal somewhere on some MTGO beta somewhere. They have it as legal and modern. And I would not I would not be surprised to see Twin come off. I want Twin to come off personally because yet again, another hate card is printed. How many sets in a row? We have Hallowed Moonlight that was a hate card. And now we have another white hate card that would just completely shut down Twin. We also had Rending Volley the set before Hallowed Moonlight. Yeah. yeah, you had like four hate cards, and none of them actually stopped it, which was kind of the point, I think. Personally, I think that um, I agree with the Drake ban and Pauper because it's not fly to have a format that's uh, controlled by this many untap effects. Um, and then I, I do think Bloodbraid Elf is going to come off the ban list. Yes. Um, I think gonna... Bloodbraid comes off. I just don't think it's this time. Well, the price has already cascaded back up if you look at it. It went up on Moto. It's gone up a little bit in Paper. Um but honestly, who gives a shit about modern? Uh, that's that's my that's my yeah. approach. Yeah, you're you're real you're real nice. Uh, honestly, I also I, I just realized there are probably two cards that I think are most risk of getting banned in modern, and that is Become Immense and Simeon Spirit Guide. But I don't think they get the axe this time. Simeon Spirit Guide just needed to be banned almost since oh, the yeah. day the format was created. I do well, not know I, why I, that's I know. illegal. I know, hey, but they're, it's it's still a really big risk to hold them because they're like six or seven dollars now, right? No, they went yeah. back down. Oh, they're what? Three it's or four. like five though. Yeah, they went back down. Um, no, it's still a lot of money for a common. Like, I still wouldn't hold them if I wasn't playing with them. It's no, from no. Planar Chaos, which is older than Fifth Dawn. I actually don't know that one. No, it's nobody. Planar Chaos is two thousand six or seven. Fifth Dawn is Mirrodin Block, which was the first modern border block. Okay, uh, but uh, yeah, no one should own more than four. Yeah. No, I honestly think that Simeon Spirit Guide should be on ban because I want to do broken degenerate things, and that lets me monkey around a bit if I want to play like Gorio's Vengeance or something. Um, yeah, I, 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 I want to shard from this weekend. Say again. I didn't hear you, and now you're muted. Yeah, I know. I messed up. I said you were watching too much of Sharfman this weekend. He was playing a Gorio's Vengeance deck. Yeah, he had his deck out for Harambe. Basically. <laughs> All right, uh, Doug, do you want to hit us with another viewer question? Yeah, uh, this one's from Apathy X Newt on Twitter. Uh, this one's mostly for you guys, Jeremy. Is Ogre Boxing still a thing at GP yeah. Louisville? Some vendors seemed annoyed by it. Uh, no, Ogre Boxing is totally a thing. Like, what the hell? Sorry, I just had a, a viewer text me about watching our cast. Um, anyway, uh, that's that's odd. Um, Ogre boxes are still a thing. If you don't believe ogre thought ogre boxes are still a thing, go to GP Vegas with an ogre box. You will probably have the first vendor buy the entire box off you because prices get so competitive there because they're all paying way more than normal to get a booster to get a vendor slot, and then they're all competing for the same cards mainly. So like, one of the things that the Tales of Adventure guys do that like I've seen them do, someone will come over with a stack of cards and say, "I want this, 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 this." So like it ends up, it, the number last time was like a thousand dollars, and he's like, I'm going around with this stack of cards to see what each vendor offers, and then I'm going to sell my entire collection to them. 
but those are the staples, so I know which vendor is not trying to screw me. And now, as we know, vendor some vendors target only competitive staples, and some target only EDH staples. So a vendor that like cool stuff that pays somewhat higher in EDH than they do competitive stuff would have a completely different number on what they're going to offer that stack. So what both Tales of Adventure and Kerwan's Game Shop do, which I've had good experiences with lately, they're out of New York, actually. I didn't know anything good could come out of New York. Yeah, Kerwan's but, is like three hours from me, and it's a pretty nice store. Yeah, so the guy's like, well, the highest offer is 1000 and the, the the president of Tales was like, I'll give you $1,100 if you sit down right now and sell me the rest of the stuff in that box. And it worked. <laughs> So it's just something to keep in mind that vendors are going to be extremely aggressive. And the other thing is there's not another Grand Prix for three more months or three more weeks. Whoops, that's a miss. That's a that's a wrong one. Atlanta's the next one. And you have a ton of vendors who need cards after three weeks in order to keep their business model going. What are they um, getting for uh, booths at Vegas next year? Uh, when did they? I honestly do not know the numbers. I will hopefully be able to get those soon. Um, I know that the Atlanta booth prices were not that bad compared to Louisville and apparently Louisville was a barn burner. So, you know, I will, I will tell you this is um, I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't announce on the cast, but I think a lot of people don't know and are curious what booth booth costs are GPs. Um, I mean, it's gone up a ton lately. Like you used to be able to get a grand prix booth for three or $4,000 a couple of years ago. It's closer to seven to 10 now for most events. And that's just going off what I've heard. That's not like concrete proof. If I ever get a booth, I'll be sure to tell you, but booths are a money trap, so that's not happening. So now I have a question for you. What is the cost to go to to, to have a booth in an open? Yeah, because so we had actually the talked open about last this. Weekend, sorry, the open last weekend had four vendors and Star City there, which was pretty big considering it's a pretty small open in Orlando. Yeah, so I, I wrote an article about this. This was my GP Indianapolis review, or GP Louis, or G, GP either GP Indy or GP Minneapolis review, where um, a vendor had a buyer sit down that was another shop. I think I want to say it was Savage TCG. The guy brought in a literal push cart, like industrial size thing of of rares, and at that point, it's better for. Um, Power Nine, who was buying those cards, or Dan Bach, to just pay for a plane ticket and have them meet at the shop because <laughs> it takes buyers too long to to price everything. It will like if you have one buyer, just do that all weekend. The profit you're going to make on that collection is not as much as Johnny coming up to sell his extras in his trade binder between rounds. It's just not worth it for anyone because you have to pay for, uh, for example, Cool Stuff's one of the only um, vendor groups that fly their employees everywhere and then they have to pay for their hotel and their food and everything a lot of vendors just sit in their car for like 13 hours and they you know that's gotta suck but cool stuff tales of adventure and a couple others pay to fly their employees everywhere so that like each employee is probably like two thousand dollars i would want to say like just for the weekend and that's a high estimate but just assume that um factored in with like all the random stuff that you have to get an employee so I don't know. Cool stuff does very well. I'll let, let you know on the end there. They've, they've, they've sponsored two of my trips completely. And Jim okay. used to work for them, I want to say. I was there for like nine months. He just yeah. shills for them these days. Yeah. All right. Well, I work, I work for them again now because I write for their website. For those listening, Jim used air quotes for those not watching. 
And for those that are listening, just hit the mute button on your, or turn the volume down every time you hear Jim. That 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 luscious beard just start to open his mouth. All right, let's get into the next viewer question. Let's keep these rolling. I want to throw out a hot MTG Finance tip. You do yeah. any amount of shipping, get yourself some shipping labels with your return address on them because nope. it is so much easier to have labels with your return address than to write it out every single time. Or, or you could just print, actually yeah, the you could just print them and then it's automatically on there. Well, I mean, that's the next level up, but that requires having hardware and whatnot that accommodates for that. How's it like living in the 90s? Have you considered buying <laughs> Dig yet? I mean, considering I print like two pages a month, you know, I've just pretty much moved away from the paperless society. Magic is the only paper in my house. I hope you have money. I was going to say, if you're just printing return addresses, you could just get like a, like a ink stamp. Yeah, thing. yeah that works too. That's actually probably a better idea. Yeah, those are like 50 bucks on Office Max or something. No, I, I got this thing for like 15 bucks. Oh, really? That's even yeah. high, too. You can get them off those, like, uh, what's that, where I got my business cards made. It's pretty cheap. Oh, it's Vistaprint? Pretty, Vistaprint? Yeah, Vistaprint, it was very yeah. cheap. Now, you were talking about unethical. That is an unethical website. <laughs> what's, wait, what's, what's wrong with Vistaprint? I've never well, I've heard any of this. Like, you will go and you will add shipping or like return labels to your cart and then when you go to check out there will be other items in your cart that they just added and you have to remove them, them or else you end up buying things that you didn't <laughs> want to yeah it's real <laughs> well to be fair even domino's does that with would you like to add a chocolate cake or oh god i've been ordering too much takeout <laughs> no, no no it's not would you like to it's if you don't uncheck it you bought things you didn't add yep just like when you listen to this podcast, you get a lot more salt than you were expecting. We're going to go open up an Annie Ann's right outside of a GP next time. All right, uh, uh, next viewer question. Let's keep things moving. This one's from Ann Angley at SmartPlay A524. How much do you think the older fast lands will go up? New fast land owners might want to pick up old ones before the spike. Uh, no. Oh, no. Everything's going down. Deal with it. Scars of Mirrodin was a lot less printed, uh, and that's that's basically it. These, if you need them to play with, they're fine at five, but no, not there's no spike. Does anyone disagree with that? That all the fast ends will drop because we're just getting access. Like maybe John keeps Black Cleave Cliffs, but that's it. I'm gonna disagree on the premise that I have a lot of Razor Verge tickets I would like to sell and make money. Uh, well, it appears your margins are going to be a little more than razor thin at this point because yeah, I don't see them spiking. But at the same time, I don't think the new ones crush them either. Yeah, I mean, they all have very different use profiles. So There's this is what happens when you don't buy volume. Um, um, like I don't think two of them are that good. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. You have to want those two colors of mana on turn one or turn two pretty consistently, which is why Black Cliff Cliffs is so much more expensive than all the others, because it lets you cast an Inquisition or a Thought Seize and a Lightning Bolt off the same land. And that's why Seacrome Coast isn't, because nobody wants to cast Serum Visions and also Path Exile on turn one. Yo, Jim, redo your mic again. My god. That thing sounds worse than Trump's chance of winning the election. All right, next question, Doug. Let's see it. I think that might have been all of them. Hang on, i got to update my Twitter. Uh, Was there the, a plastic bags question in there? We got to that while you were looking for a bottle opener. Okay, perfect. I didn't find uh, one. 
<laughs> that's all the ones from my personal Twitter. I haven't checked the cartel account Twitter. But okay. Rogue, is there anything you want to talk about finance-wise? Oh, any specific questions you have for me? That's that's a broad. <laughs> yeah, we have our guest here. We should let him pontificate for a little while. Uh, I do a. I do a, a series. I didn't do it today because I swamped other things. I'll probably come out Wednesday. I do a series uh, called uh, Market Monday every week where I just take questions and, and go over them. And then uh, last couple weeks, I've just po- been talking about rotation. Uh, rotation is kind of weird, though, for investments. You usually have like an entire year of a window when they hit their bottom. Now I'm doing air quotes, too. So I've just been going over some of the, the picks uh, that I would start specking to. I think that we're in a different era of magic investment, I've, I've, I've shied away from more competitive just because there's too many people in that competitive investment, like investing in modern staples and legacy staples and things like that and shifted over to more uh, commander and kitchen table. They seem to have been having better returns for me. Now, so while you look at this deck that Doug posted in the chat for his wonky standard idea, cause he went deep on this card. Um, I want to talk about alpha investments for a second. Uh huh. I know that everyone's like, oh my God, this guy's smart. This guy's insane. He's making so much money. Explain who this is for the people who don't know, like me. Uh, so Alpha Investments is a former bank- banker for Wall Street, and he made a lot of money in the Wall Street thing, and then he decided to open a magic shop. So he's got like hundreds of old boxes and hundreds of graded beta whatever. So everyone's like, wow, this guy's so successful. But he keeps posting videos where he opens up like 500 boxes of magic, which isn't much compared to like Kevin from Dariums. And he's like, I'm saving every foil I open. So today he posted his Origins thing, and he had a bunch of foil Jaces that he opened, and he's held them through when they were $250 or whatever. Do you guys agree with holding foils for like five years? Because that's his plan. Like if a card spikes, why wouldn't you sell it? Foils have the best chance of going up long-term just because they, they have the most real demand. Like the, the, the people that tend to foil out their decks, uh, they don't sell those cards. So then when a new person comes in, they tend to buy those foils. It's just like the next step of bling. Like after you've, you've, you have your modern deck, the next step is to foil it out. So I can kind of see his point there. But I'm with you, man. He should have had Jace's when they were super expensive. And then now what, I don't even know what, what are they down to? They're probably to 70 or 80 now, yeah. I guess. They were 100 when I last looked, but that was a couple weeks ago, I think. Yeah, and we definitely have people who like to foil out um, their modern decks. I know Jim's been foiling out his burn deck. I'm not quite sure what he's compensating for yet, but we'll find out eventually. I I'm, I just don't like holding on to anything. Just, uh, just that blanket, like have that response. You have to always be on top of what a card is worth. If, it's, if you've made your money, if you've made, what was it, the old leave the last 25% for someone else type. Leave the last 10%, 10% for the next yeah. guy was what yeah. Corbin Hustler yeah. said. Yeah, I mean, Jason. it's kind of the same thing. Oh, it was Jason? I'm not yeah. giving that filthy Blackhawk fan any credit. <laughs> he can deal with it. He doesn't listen to this cast. Well, you guys can now. tweet at Jason E. Salt and tell him that the Blackhawks suck. Do that for my viewers. I love you guys. <laughs> All 13 of you. So, Doug, de- um, you have this deck. Yes. You want to tell the viewers what it's like and then we can get Rogue's okay. impression since he's so, the Rogue Builder Extraordinary. Yeah. So I really wanted to cast Deploy the Gatewatch as soon as I heard that there were four more Planeswalkers in this set and that there were two more in the next set just because I feel like that's a critical mass of Planeswalkers that we've never had in Standard before while we also have like the Five Oath Cycle which I feel like most of those are constructed playable in the right shell. Um, 
Uh, the man is not as perfect as it should, used to be, but uh, I I made a draft of the first uh, first list, and then I sent it to Jim because Jim actually plays Magic and I don't, and he ga he gave me a different list, and then I sort of incorporated a lot of ideas from it into the draft that I sent Rogue Deck Builder, and the the game plan is to cast some number of Planeswalkers. Uh, I believe Saffron Olive did the math in like one of his wanky uh, like. In against the odds videos with deploy the gate watch, and he said that the number of walkers you need to like reliably hit deploy the gate watch at 75% chance or higher is like 17. So I'm playing 18 planeswalkers, uh, three oath of Nissa, four oath of no, three oath of Liliana, four oath of Nissa, uh, declaration in stones, deploy the gate watches, and fumigates, and then 26 lands. And I don't really have a sideboard yet because I'm not that far into it, but I was just hoping to get some thoughts and opinions on it. From 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 my end, I I'd assume. Anyone, I don't care. Um, I've had some experience. I built this deck. I actually have a deck tech up on my my channel. Uh, built one from my uh, customers in my store. Yeah, you have a lot of four drops, which is good with the planeswalkers in this one because you want to reliably be able to cast them without. You don't want it to be dead if you don't have to play the gate watch. But we found out is to get into like the Sorens and the 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 battle presented car. Uh, Chandra was probably the best thing you could do with deploy the gate watch. Chandra is just really the 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 negative one that can do damage to each creature or put out elementals was always felt like the best planeswalker to cheat out. And it okay. wasn't it wasn't too hard to go five colors with Oath of Nissa, but the, the draws where you didn't get Oath of Nissa could get kinda we also ran like explosive vegetation just to to really help out our mana base. Yeah, um, this is for post-rotation stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's not another ramp spell that's coming out, is there? No. <laughs> the closest thing we have is like the creature that when it dies, you, uh, you get to search for basic land, the O3. Yeah. And then I, I have like Deathcap Cultivator on my maybe list to try to hit four drops on turn mm -hmm. three, but that's, I don't know. I like that the new Chandra can come down on three or four and then place helps you into Call the Gatewatch the next turn. Yes, yes. Yeah. I've, is, I've been swapping uh, between red and black a lot. Like I couldn't really decide on whether red or black was better. There's another mana guy that's much better than Deathcap Cultivator, probably. There's the two mana 2-2 two -two that you add energy when it enters the battlefield, and then you can tap it for any color. It's like a Birds of Paradise. Two energy it comes out with, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you get to make mana twice, and then you get a bear, but you should be able to cast two Planeswalkers with that, and that should be right. good enough. There's also that vehicle, the three mana Birds of Paradise. I mean, it's just it's just a three mono mono rock that makes any colors, which is you know useful if you're trying to bridge the gap there. I also thought about uh, is it a literal Birds of Paradise? No, it's a uh, it's a mana it's a manolith that has like crew three to be a five five. But uh, is it an artifact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a manolith that has crew three. That's what it is for a five five. That doesn't even sound good. No. Yeah, Birds of so. Par Birds of Paradise is fly. That card it just sounds like garbage. Well, it turns into a five-five after you get where you're going. Yeah, he's trying to make also, a bad pun. Don't don't feed the troll. I've yeah. also tried thought about uh, prophetic prism, which is in Kaladesh as well as like a two-drop. Mm -hmm. I don't know. All yeah, right, so we got ten minutes left. That gives us enough time to get through three more topics. Let's go into pick of the week. I hope you brought something spicy, even though we didn't tell you about it, Rogue. <laughs> 
It's time for the pick of the week. And I wouldn't sing if the viewers would stop asking me, so please stop asking. All right, Doug, go for it. All right, so I don't remember whether or not somebody else picked this before me on a previous week, but uh, my pick of the week is Grave Betrayal. Anyone? No? All right, so Grave Betrayal is a seven-man enchantment from Return to Ravnica. It's a rare... Whenever an opponent or whenever a creature you don't control dies, return it to the battlefield under your control with a plus one plus one counter on it. At the beginning of the next end step, that creature is also a black zombie. Uh, it used to be a bulk rare for the past like four years or so. It slowly crept up to around a dollar. You can find buy list sometimes at like seventy five cents or like close to a dollar. Uh, it's just one of those EDH cards that crept up over the past four years because a lot of people like playing seven drops, and this one actually has like enough of an impact on the board to replace debtors now in some decks and it gets out of hand really fast if you don't kill it so uh it's just something to look out for you can like sometimes still buy it for a dime or like a quarter or like trade for it at a dollar if people aren't careful it's just something you throw away in a box and wait for it to be like three dollars another three years from now all right so i know kaladish cards are not really something that you should be pre-ordering but there's one vehicle that i think is pretty underrated and even if it's a bust, you lose 50 cents. Um, right now, you can order, who is it? Fleet Wheel Cruiser, I believe is the name of it. It's the four mana 5 3 that has haste and trample, and when it enters the battlefield, it becomes a 5 3. Um, I'm playing some Kaladish Standard. The card's pretty good. It's like a reality smasher that comes down a turn earlier. What's the crew number on it? Two. Oh, okay. Um, it's not the best. Uh, it's not the best vehicle that I've been playing with, Smuggler's Thopter, or Copter, or whatever it's called, is, like, actually really good, but the Fleet Wheel Cruiser's uh, been pretty pretty solid. It kills Planeswalkers when it comes down. It's one less mana than Reality Smasher and doesn't cost any colorless, which is a pretty big deal. So I'm, I'm pretty happy getting these at, like, 50 or 60 cents. I saw you posted, a, like, a sample hand on Twitter. Is there, like, an actual vehicle deck that you're brewing with for the Pro Tour, or...? Yeah, it's he just couldn't, he couldn't tell you about it if he's brewing with it for the Pro Tour. He's got to keep that secret. I mean, it's really obvious. It's all the red and white cards <laughs> and two vehicles, and you just smash them all together. And it, it is a deck. It's it's probably pretty cheap to make, which it's going to be a really good budget deck. But um, you have too many X ones. You're just going to lose to Liliana, the last hope, because it just kills all of your guys. And then you have a bunch of vehicles that can't crew themselves. All right, Kevin, do you have a pick of something awesome that you're brewing with or a card that you think is undervalued? Uh, specking in, I'm definitely going all in on Harbinger of Tides. It's proven itself. It has nothing to prove and continues to go down. I don't know if a dollar is the right price point. I think it will go down a little bit more just because Origins was decently open. But a four of in a modern deck, can't go wrong there. I don't really follow modern, but is that still like a uh, constant four of? Like, yes, you always play four of this or... I can tell you that after watching the Star City tournament by tuning in on accident, hoping it was Legacy, I saw Murfolk have two Harbinger of the Tides on the field. And then I turned it off because I almost threw up all over my monitor for watching Modern. But that's, that's the point. Like, I, still, I still think it's a good spec, and I agree with you, but I'm just wondering if it's like an O is four of like the other Lords or not. The only thing I can think of that could happen is is uh, like a really good green creature. Coming, but the thing is, like, I, I went all in on Tie Butter Mage, and I still don't think that was the wrong move. I couldn't anticipate that they're going to print a better card the next set. But I mean, I think that's the only thing that will 
get rid of harbingers for some reason like another two mana lord comes out it's it's pretty staple in in, in merfolk okay travis uh well we'll come as no surprise to anyone that i'm a big fan of restore balance and i have a bunch of them uh as a caveat to this recommendation but Ari Lax put out a video this past week about restore balance he went 5-0 in a construct in a modern constructive league dropping one game and then he tweeted that if he was playing in any modern events this past weekend he would 100% play restore balance um the new Nahiri is is another uh, additional vector for that deck to attack on uh and you get to play restore balance which is just obscenely powerful so uh, I own a bunch, but I still think that one of these days that card is going to pop, and even at you know three or four bucks, that's going to be double digits, no problem. I do not like. How I there's so many good cards to pick up right now, um, and that's the weird thing is talking with other big name vendors that they're actually buying a ton more cards than they're selling lately. So worrying trend incoming as we approach the winter doldrums that happen seasonally every year, where magic prices go down. It seems like not a lot of magic cards are selling for some of the bigger name shops, and they are having a ton of problems with overstock. So Grand Prix coming Ooh. up in the future should be interesting for these last couple of months as people just try to dump all their excess garbage. That being said, my pick of the week is um, Doug, I swear to God, if you don't mute your mic, because we had so many people complain about people typing without their mics muted. Last the best part yeah. is that Doug and I have mechanical keyboards, so it's really noisy. Well, it's funny, but that's actually not me typing. I have like a, I'm a fidgeter and I have a habit of like rolling dice around in my hand, as you can see. Yeah. So that's just always what it is. If I'm not muted, you can just hear me rolling dice around in my hand, so. I guess that makes sense. You're used to cupping something all the time. <laughs> all right, my pick of the week is Clever Impersonator. I think this card this card's finally starting to go back up, and cons has opened a lot, but this has proven itself in pretty much every EDH, and even the casuals like it. So that's what I'm looking at. I don't I don't think it's a bad spec to trade into. I would not buy in for more than fifty cents, though, which you can still do. I think it's like three dollars TCG mid, but the highest buy list is fifty cents. And I might be wrong on that too, but that's what we're paying, and people are happy enough to sell them to me. So that's my pick. And uh, with four minutes left, looks like we're gonna wrap it up. If you guys want to go down the line on where people can find you. And I know Rogue's going to have a little bit of a longer thing because he's got a ton of places you can find his stuff or buy his cards. You Sorry, I'm me? just... Uh, okay. You can, you know, you can start. I'm buying a bunch more Restore Balance right now because Star City had them on sale, so I just bought like 45 more copies. You guys have to stop buying out cards. Travis bought out Suchi. <laughs> Sick just bought out a reserveless card. I may hypothetically... Yo, Doug, Doug can you just leave me four? Do you not buy all of them? You just leave me four. It's it's too late. I'll sell you four at the old price. I'll sell you four at the old price. No, Fine. sell them four at the new price. Sell them four yeah. at the Jim's Beard is Stupid price. Yeah, and if anyone wants to buy uh, memory jars, I now officially own 1% of all From the Vault copies ever think, printed. So you guys should get on that. How can that be officially 1%? Because I looked up exactly how many From the Vaults were printed. They and then I was like, oh, information. I have 1% of Jeez, all they still copies. have near-mint copies. I only bought the SP and MP copies because those were the ones on sale. You know, Doug, you, you would think you would want to talk less with how much little time you have with brains, until Brainstorm Brewery starts. Scorpion's going to okay. be all over yeah, your Yeah, I'll, I'll talk right now. Uh, so my name is Douglas Johnson. You can find me on brainstormbrewery.com, uh, Quiet Speculation Behind the Insider Paywall, on Twitter, at Rose of Thorns, on Facebook, whatever, etc. All right, I'm out. I got to go. I got to get on Brainstorm Brewery now. Thanks for watching. Yep. Jim? See you guys later. My name is... Come on, stop interrupting me, man. 
Uh, my name is Jim Casale. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Modern Nexus every Wednesday and Gathering Magic every other Monday. It's funny that Doug acts like that's all going to start on time when both Jason and Corbin have new kids. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he, uh, wanted, he wanted it to end at by 6.59. We, we barely made it. So. Yeah, he's going to be waiting 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Travis Allen, you can find me on Twitter, wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Wednesday on MTG Price behind the Pro Trader service, and I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast with James Chilcott. Kevin? Uh, you can find me on YouTube slash Rogue Deck Builder. That's probably the, the best place to find me. I started on YouTube. I also do a video series every, I think they moved it to Wednesdays, uh, for Gathering Magic on their Gathering Magic YouTube slash, it's General Collectibles, but if you just look up Gathering Magic or go to their website, you can find me. Either do a, a series called Playing on a Budget or Rogue's Alley. You can find my Facebook page, Facebook slash Rogue Deck Builder, Twitter at Rogue Deck Build. That's usually where I hang out. And um, I'm going to go ahead and plug all the stuff that Kevin didn't mention because he's got a lot more content that he's being modest about. Uh, both Kevin and I were quite literally just on Darium CCG's podcast explaining shop business and old drama since we've both been, you know, he's been creating for maybe five or six years now. I've only been creating for five, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so he's one of the old OGs. Um, this was obviously intended more for finance than it was uh, shop stuff or uh, just general stuff going on in the YouTube community. But if you want to check that out, go over to Darium CCG's YouTube page. And Kevin's got an hour long one-on-one -on -one with um, the other Kevin, Kevin squared about uh, shop stuff, Puka trade content creation. And it's really interesting to go ahead and look at. I would highly recommend it. He also should have plugged his shop gone rogue games in some small city, Utah. I forget. Which the name. Utah. Yeah, you guys should stop by and check it out. It's got a pretty sweet setup. Got a bunch of posters everywhere and looks like good prices. So if you're listening to this, you guys should check it out because they're running a pretty cool operation over there. And if you want to know exactly how he started up the shop, he's got a video up on his YouTube channel. It's about 20 minutes long where he talks about how he started with basically no capital and turned it into a shop. So it's really cool what you guys have been able to do. Thanks. And I, of course, I'm at Zemet Sells Magic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, because we're iTunes official. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, you can find me on YouTube at Lengthy Zemet. You can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. You can find me in the great state of Missouri, always. And as tradition, we're always going to leave you with that sweet, sweet cartel finance knowledge. As many of you know, Jim likes to play Burn in Modern. However, if he was playing in a Legacy tournament with a red deck, and he spilled water on his opponent's deck, would that make him a pyro? Would that, would that nope. make him a... I, I told you this so you wouldn't repeat it. <laughs> Would that make him a pyroclastic spiller? Anyway, thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats cast number 26, and we'll see you guys next time.